0: Faced with a society adrift amidst environmental degradation, exploitative working conditions, and a surfeit of consumerism-led manufacture, what might a more ethically responsible form of production look like today? During the London Design Festival, Desenio partnered with online concept store NEED and the Finnish Institute in London on a public roundtable discussion to explore the issues facing manufacturers and examine more equitable, sustainable ways in which design might operate. Hosted at the Finnish Institute, the roundtable included fashion designer Riet Els, ceramicist Eva Spoove, and Dust London designer Matthew Grant, and was chaired by Desenio's editor-in-chief, Olly Stratford. That's me. So first of all, let's start with definitions a little bit, what we mean when we talk about ethical production. You can look at labour conditions, you can look at material choices, you can look at the process by which things are produced. As designers, how do you kind of orientate yourself amongst so much? Because they're huge issues to grapple with.
1: Yeah, I think um, as something to start with, it very much depends on the scale that you start to look at these things. If you're looking from a top-down scale and you've got a large organisation or design house and you're looking to push those ideas down, or whether from our perspective at Dust London, you're starting off as an individual design studio, you can design with certain ethical, sustainable, environmental factors in mind. So I think the answer to that question very much depends on, on the scale of it.
2: Uh, our company has always been looking to two sides. One is social issues, but yeah, it's the workers' rights, and always the environmental side. We are more focusing to the environmental side. Why? Because we are working with the leftovers. We are working with the waste from the very big industry. So you can't make any compromises there. It's, uh, the transparency is one of the most important things. And if you know how you do your things, then you know how to, you know, make the ethical choices. If you don't have the transparency, then it's very, very complicated to co sustainable. So
0: maybe you could tell us a little bit about how you work with that. So how you use upcycling, for instance.
2: The way how we work is um, work with the factories. We go into the factory, we certify them. We have the certification scheme called UpMade. made years ago, together with the Stockholm Environmental Institute, the UpMade system gives um, the possibility to bring leftovers back to the production inside the factory. So the the way how we work is that we go into the factory. We always make the waste analysis. Then we will make environmental analysis to know exactly how. What's the difference between the product made from the origin, like the new material, and then upcycled one? You know, the upcycled product is saving around uh, eighty-eight percent of water and a little bit more than ninety percent of electricity.
1: Yeah. So um, we very much came from uh, myself an architectural background and um, Michael from a fine art background. When we started working together, we wanted to focus on working with our hands and moving away from the computerized and the mechanistic way of working with things. And we wanted to find an organic product that would allow us to have a rich range of hues and colors that we could work with. And tea waste presented itself as a type of organic material that could do that. So very, our practice is very much about developing a process. To almost reverse um, an existing process where a lot of waste is being created. And part of our practice is to pave the way for other sustainable conversations to happen. You know, everyone can relate, especially in Britain, to tea waste and can relate to tea. And if you have a homeware or furniture object that is made of this waste, it begs the question of what else. Or what other waste products can be used in a different way?
0: Eva, your practice is a little different insofar as you're not working with waste materials, but some of those issues do recur, right? You're working with natural materials, so perhaps you can tell us about your work.
3: Well, I, I worked in industry before, so and I worked in China in pottery, and I realized that there is overproduction in pottery. So when I came from China back to Finland, I, I started to use only local clay, and. I only work part-time doing pottery right now because I I feel like there is just too much of it. So i rather have a small production and I try to get the prices in the right price because a lot of potteries sell really in low prices pottery that should be higher priced, I think. And there's a problem in ceramics because I think there's just too much of the production of it. That's
0: quite a radical step in a way for a designer. We were talking about this before, but for yeah. designers to say their practice actually ought to only be part-time because there's no need for it to be full-time, that's a very unusual step to take. How easy was it to reach that decision?
3: Well, it's easy because I get paycheck from somebody else. <laughs> so, 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 and, but before, I, I I worked full-time as a ceramist for 15 years, and then we got all the Ikea's and big producers and... Our factory started making everything in Asia and now, now there's so many different ceramic lines. I just think that there's too much of it.
0: How easy is it within your respective industries to take that attitude? Is there a consumer demand for more responsible practice? What obstacles do you face? Uh, I think it's it's certainly consumer-led in the. That-
1: you know, we as consumers can vote with our wallets, we can make our choices of what we buy and where we go to buy it.
2: Well, when we are talking about uh, textiles and fashion, then I think we all know that this is the, uh, the overconsumption is the biggest there. And of course, one reason is the fast fashion. It's just, you know, the business model is, wo- you know, just working that way that you have to consume more and more like every month. But uh, there is one part of it uh, what we really don't see. We don't see it here in um, in the, uh, in London. We don't see it in the in the in the EU, for example. It's, and this is the part of the uh, you know the waste, all the leftovers what we have in in that industry. So in the Asia or in the places where we are producing all that stuff, there is um, industrial leftovers, which is like in every factory around eighteen to forty percent, as uh, stays there as a waste from the things was produced and when we are coming here for example to Europe then uh, we have we are facing the biggest waste problem called uh, post consumer waste so textile waste just reading the uh, the latest uh, report uh, EU report so in EU we are able to collect only 25% uh, post consumer waste and from that 25% we are able to recycle only 1% And I mean, it's insane. It's just, you know, it's basically nothing. So we are producing so big amount of waste every day, every second. And we have no solutions in that industry. The mechanical uh, recycling is still really very, very small. You know, 1% from 25. And uh, the main reason is that we have mixed uh, materials. So if we would have monomaterials, it would be much, much easier to deal with.
1: I was going to say, there are some mechanisms that are starting to be in place for taking or looking at a material's journey. It's the concept of material passport, where you look at a material at the start of its lifetime, and there is a data set of which that material is part. Now, I know this is most prevalent in the construction industry, but could be related to textiles in in a way as well
3: but i think it's really uh, a lot of times like uh, craft people and there's a lot of craft people in in europe they use materials that they don't know where they come from and that's a, i think that the same way that we eat local food w- this should be with materials that the, when you buy wool or whatever you should know where the wool comes from and where it's uh, manufactured and i think that's something that's not happening much in europe a lot of craft people say think that because it's craft it's environmental friendly but it has it's not true.
2: Yeah, that's true because transparency is not in place and that's yes. uh, yeah that's why it should be there. What could
0: be done to improve that level of transparency to create greater awareness around these issues? Are there any steps that can be taken?
2: Yeah, one that's very it. easy way to to help there is the all the certification systems because yeah. the, that's why certifications are there to make the the transparency. For example, the one thing what EU is really planning to implement, I don't know how long it takes. Maybe it's just the idea. I'm not the person to to talk, but I um, it's about the materials as well to make the, the taxes related to the materials if the material is. Uh, all the production is transparent. It's more of material that is like uh, you kind of can circu- like circulate it back, so it will be less and etc. So they're really trying to figure out the way how they could influence with the different taxes the the big producers, the big brands. And I mean, it's I think that sounds sounds really fair. I kind of uh, started to I became quite a big fan of taxes. Really, that's the only way how we could influence uh, the big companies. Uh, I I don't see any other way.
1: With sustainability being a more of a pressing issue, you see the big brands respond to that in a way. They're not going to change their production lines. Of course, they're not, they're, because it works for them. But it might be that there's 1% or less of their range, which they will shout about as being sustainable, because they want to be seen to have a certain collection or a range which is so there is the i suppose jumping on the bandwagon of sustainability but how can you be authentic and how can you truly make it happen i think the best way to do that at the moment is to have a conversation about it
3: and it's also the consumers they are the ones who decide and i can see a big difference i have again much more uh, young customers who want to buy something want to buy my products because they are from the local material, made locally. And I think this is really nice.
0: It's quite a difficult position to be in as a consumer, right? Because people want to buy sustainably. It's seen as a desirable trait. But I think as has been touched on, there is this issue of greenwashing, that things are put forward as sustainable in a small portion of the range. And often it's not clear at all what is actually being meant by sustainable. It's almost sometimes used as quite an empty term that sounds very good. But quite difficult to get information as to what a company is actually saying when they say a product is sustainable so how how can you go about improving that situation is the word sustainable now simply too broad and nebulous to be useful
2: i think that's why design is actually a very good uh, scene because design is very practical and design research is really important here. That uh, we can do the academic research, and in the same time, we can prove it with the, like real products in the in the real life. So it's, uh, and I can see that the design research is really like growing.
1: I think that's um, that's part of what got us got us off the ground. Actually, we had we had a Kickstarter campaign, so a crowdfunding campaign, which very much shows that there is the appetite out there for sustainable products or for waste-led or surplus-led products to be brought into existence.
0: How readily do companies and I suppose designers as well embrace things like the certifications you mentioned? Is that something which is seen as a positive within the industry and people are keen to work towards that? Or are they seen as... An annoyance, an extra cost. But how typically, say, working with a brief or working with a company or whatever, would sustainability be discussed very early on and seen as essential?
2: In the textiles and fashion, it's really tricky because um, some companies are really asking from the producers some kind of certifications. But it's very for the factories quite a big amount of money to to carry out the certification to have it and. Uh, the reality, of course, is that uh, nobody cares because the uh, when we're talking about the fast fashion and the mass production, then uh, basically only thing that matters is the price.
0: That seems to be what a lot of it comes down to, abuses in a supply chain, whether that be poor labor conditions, whether that be irresponsible business practice, poor choice of material, always seems to be justified by cost and the need to bring something to market as cheaply as possible so it's affordable and available to as many people as possible. That seems a sort of impossible situation to get out of and I think it's quite a depressing thought in a lot of ways. How how should people go about thinking around those issues because it seems an intractable problem? We're
1: very much stuck in sort of a linear way of producing and consuming things in that you find a raw material, something is made with it and then that is thrown away. So getting into a circular mindset in that you are looking at the product's lifespan or looking for a product to have another life is the, the mindset that we, we need to get into.
3: And I, I want to. Co- I don't think we can consume so much anymore. So I think a lot of people don't buy stuff anymore so much. At least I, I feel like I just have make everything by my own hands. And I sell in Helsinki in one shop, in Norway in one shop, and now in London in one shop. And that's it. If people really love my products, I'm going to hire the prices. that. And my aim is not to make more.
0: Is there a difficulty in applying that kind of attitude more widely? Because I suppose the the sort of option to be very selective in what you purchase, in some ways, is quite a privileged one.
3: Yeah, maybe I'm just thinking about Northern Europeans in this, but I I think uh, we've had uh, at least I meet a lot of younger people who want to live very minimalistic, and uh, and uh, Con Marie is round in Western world a big thing and not to have a lot. Yeah, but I uh,
2: completely agree with what you talk, but in the same time you see that, uh, for example, Sarah is opening more and more in shopping more and more shops and you know yeah. the profit goes uh, higher and higher and every year this is I mean if you see what, what's really happening of course I'm not very positive as you as you can understand because I have seen the industry really from the inside and from the side what's the uh, really the ugliest part the, the production side I can't see any change really I would say we produce more and more every year like yeah in Europe we have some nice innovative brands like we do our work here you know but it's tiny it's so small I have, it doesn't, you know, it's, we try to solve some problem. We can maybe like in the one factory, we can, you know, reuse or upcycle maybe 1% of the leftovers. It actually doesn't make any sense if the big brands will actually do that. They should take the responsibility and start to upcycle their own leftovers. And that gives them actually possibility to produce less the new material. Then the next step, they should go to the monomaterials. The monomaterials are like recyclable. One thing I
0: think before we open it up to the floor for questions would be interesting is how you all motivate yourself in your own practices because you're in the business of production. Okay, it's a more ethically ethical form of production, a more sustainable form of production. But if, as we're all agreed, the issue is we produce too much and we consume far too much. What sort of drives you to want to address that? Particularly, as we've said, small-scale enterprise isn't necessarily making a huge dent on the issue. So how do you, how do you keep going?
1: Well, I think with, um, with our approach to design and to making, we wanted to make, like but everything with our hands. And when you start by making with your hands and continue to work in that way you do have a limit on production. So you're not looking to scale up to a point where you're bringing in other resources or you're forcing a greater level of production. So in a way, the enjoyment is in the making. And that's what keeps us going. The fact that we can make each of these objects by hand and that is celebrated by our customers who buy them.
2: Uh, every morning when I wake up, the uh, the main drive is that, you know, it's... as developing every day I learn something every day and I understand it more and more and even though I said like quite pessimistic stuff earlier I'm still quite optimistic because I can see the solutions and I just uh, try to understand how we as designers could you know make the industry change how can we implement these solutions to the big industry even starting really small scale but slowly going bigger and bigger and influencing the bigger brands as well so I I still believe the change is possible. It's not too late.
3: For me is that I want to uh use the local material and because it hasn't been very respected material in Finland, I want people to understand that this is actually much better material than the industrial clay. Right now I, I've had a lot of younger customers, so I I don't make products to myself. So if nobody wants to buy my products then I won't do them.
0: You've been listening to a Desenio podcast. For more podcasts, visit DeseniaDaily.com.